0: Hello and welcome again to our next podcast. The uh, What we're going to be doing is the second lesson in the spring quarter, uh, and that's going to be what would be March 14th. It's going to be from Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Um, one of the reasons as to why I'm not going to plug a lot of things is because my battery's dying and I'm semi-on vacation. So anyway, um, our scripture text is going to be Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Our prayer for illumination today is... You sent Moses to speak law to the people and bring order to chaos. You sent prophets to speak repentance and bring hope to the hopeless. You sent your son, Jesus, to become your living word. Open our ears to hear your word. Open our hearts to reflect the light of your truth to others. For the sake of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, amen. And then our memory verse today is Luke 16, 31. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So um, our story is The Rich Man, Lazarus, and I'm going to let Becky kind of get us going with what was a really good introduction. I really like the introduction to this lesson.
1: Thank you. So our introduction to this particular lesson is one that really spoke to my heart, and it's one that I think about all the time this couple had come up to me while I was standing in the parking lot talking with one of my people in my congregation. And the guy had come by the house before, you know, when you live at the church Mance, and you live right at the church, people tend to just show up at your house. Um, and and that happens not frequently. I don't I, I want to say that it's not like a frequent everyday basis, but it does happen on occasion that people come to the house asking for stuff. And he had been here before and asked for things. And As I was new to the community, I had made friends with a few different pastors in the area, and I had asked them about this guy, too, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, he's been around the circuit quite a bit, and everybody's tried to help him, and everybody's given him stuff, and he just, he comes from a really rough family, a really rough background, and, um, and the woman that was with him, I hadn't met her before. And he introduced her to me. He's like, this is my wife. And I was like, Oh, you know, and they were just recently married maybe six months, something like that. Um, but she was really trying to kick the drugs and alcohol, man, she'd been 30 days sober. Um, she was working really hard at this, you know, you can tell. But they were just a really poor, poor, poor family. Um, they did not smell nice. They definitely weren't wearing clean clothes. Um, she still had pick marks from, from being on meth. Um, you know, and it was just, it was just a really sad situation. Um, and the last time, last couple of times he'd popped in, he'd asked for cash, you know. And I'm like, ah, you know, I can't give you cash, but you know, if you need some gas, I'll go down to the gas station with you, put some gas in your car, whatever. Um, and this time he's like, I don't need any money. I'm just, we're just really hungry and we don't have any electricity at home. So we don't have any way to cook. And, you know, can you just take us to dinner? And Cracker Barrel is right across the street from us. So I took him I to
0: love Cracker that. Barrel. I know
1: it's like right here. And so I took him to Cracker Barrel. And, and really honestly, my first instinct, because I'm human, I realized that I'm a pastor, but I'm still human, was I'm just going to go in, get him a gift card let them eat on that gift card. And I'm just going to go on my merry way. But God was just hammering at home to me. He's like, no, you're not. You're going to go in, you're going to sit down and you're going to have a meal with these people. And I was like, okay, I'll go in and have a meal with these people. But that meal, I I, I won't ever forget this. I mean, it was so personally enriching to be able to sit and have a conversation and talk about the fact that they've been in a couple different churches, but they were asked to leave and because they didn't smell nice and they didn't look nice. Um, and, and the fact that she read the Bible, he doesn't read because he's illiterate, but she reads it to him. And sometimes it's by the only thing that they have, which is candlelight, um, you know, and just man. And then when I took him home, mm-mm-mm that that trailer that they lived in was terrible you know and and um but god really spoke to me through that whole that whole process and it's it's not something i will ever forget anytime soon yeah.
0: i think before we kind of jump in because there's some things i'd like to say about that i am going to share this discussion question as our uh, discussion question of the week uh, question is share a time you're minister ministering to others made others uncomfortable and then share a time when you were made uncomfortable by ministering to someone in need. And so um, we, as you were saying that Becky, the quote that I've, I've been in that same position, I think most ministers have. Um, and the quote that comes to my mind, John Wesley, and I've probably said it on this podcast before, cause it's not too, it's never far from my mind. He says, never send your charity. And what he meant to say was never disassociate your giving from your heart or your mind it's easy just to write a check and and just let it go but then he said never send your charity because you need to connect your heart mind and soul to the people that you're helping because mm-hmm. if you don't it can become a cynical thing like you said just write the gift just get out of the way and i've been there too yeah um yeah so I, I i do love that quote um,
1: that's a really good quote because that is, that is so true because if i had just handed them that gift card that entire Enriching meal and conversation that we had, I would I would have missed out on all of that, on the understanding that they're trying to do what they can with the skills, with the abilities, and what they have available to them, which was very little.
0: No.
1: And and the fact that they were trying to do the best they could with what they had, what more can you ask of a human being? Um, you know, whether it's intelligence, whether it's skills, whether it's whatever you have do the best that you can with that. And, and that's exactly what they were doing. You know, she was doing her best to get sober. He was doing his best to provide for her. And the only way that he knew how, um, you know, what else can you ask from another person?
0: Logan, you got anything there?
2: Yeah. When I was pastoring at my first church, we had a couple, um, my wife worked the, uh, my wife worked at the, the Casey's general store. If you don't know what that is, the I sure do. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a gas station that happens to sell pizza, but they they should be a pizza place that happens to sell gas. I'm telling you, pizza's awesome there. Yeah. Um, So my wife worked at a Casey's General Store, and back before COVID, you could actually go in there and sit and have a bite bite to eat. Well, I, I made it a habit to go up to Casey's about two hours before she got off work, and I'd go up there and, sit with my lap and put my bible in my laptop and do sermon prep or i'd talk to people who were there and i would kind of use that as my time to to reach out to folks who happened to be there and i was i was the unofficial casey's chaplain for a while so
0: it's a cool <laughs> that's awesome. someone who
2: yeah so someone who worked there had a problem i was also i was also the uh the store of bodyguard so if there was a problem with a customer i would I would take care of it. So I was sitting there one night and there was this couple who happened to be at the next table. And uh, they noticed that I had a Bible. And so they wanted to ask me some questions about the Bible. And so I was happy to talk to them and answer what questions they had. And that conversation led into their current living situation. Mm -hmm. They had just become homeless. And uh they didn't know where to go. And uh the very much like the couple in your story, Becky, the, the girl was on drugs and she was trying to get sobered up. And the guy was on drugs at one time and he had already gotten sobered up, and uh they didn't have anywhere to go, and he lost his job, and she didn't have a job, they needed groceries, they needed a place to stay, and we didn't really know what to do for them. So um, I went to and they just, they just kind of made a habit of walking around the town and sitting at all night gas stations. Cause I didn't have anywhere else to go. So I went to the elders at our church. It was, it was, I met them on a Tuesday, uh, the next night at Bible study, I went to the elders of the church and said, Hey, there's this couple that really needs a place to stay and needs help. Can we get them a motel for the night? And so I, I buttered them up and they had, a, they had a quick session meeting and, uh, They got them uh, the cheapest hotel. uh, They got them the cheapest hotel in in the town to let them stay for a night. You know, it's not like they were sitting on, I won't get into that, (sighs) but they got them the cheapest hotel, the cheapest Roach Motel money could buy, let them stay there for the night. And then my wife and I, we made up uh, a basket of snacks and uh, we put a Bible in there. And we put a couple pamphlets in there, uh, you know, like religious tracts and stuff. And uh, we took it over to their motel room, and we sat with them for a little while. And we kind of and we kind of walked through the tracks, and we talked about we talked about faith in the Lord, and, um, and we didn't we didn't give them the whole you know if you trust Jesus your life will get better" stick. We didn't sell them on it that way, but we. We really wanted to reach out to them in such a way that mattered. And we invited them to church. We even told them we would pick them up for church and they, they didn't, they didn't come to church. Uh, but uh, we were able, I, I, I hope that we were able to make a positive impact on them, even if it was just getting them a place to stay
0: for the night. Right. And yeah. I would say I'm uncomfortable when I talk to anybody, right. Or when I'm ministering to anybody, cause that's my personality. It's just, Right. Me too, buddy. Me too. But I'm always blessed when I stick it out, especially in those types of situations. And and like this uh, passage also makes me think when Christ says, you know, the poor you always have among you and Logan, Mm -hmm. like you kind of brought it up. So one of the things we did at Margaret Hank, we just had a policy. Unless there was an extreme circumstance, we didn't, we didn't do hotel rooms. And the reason being is because it was, it was a never ending trap in that sense, like, and we would work very hard to find them a place to stay. Um, and we might do a room a night, but like, y- you can't, you can never solve that by a hotel room. You can't solve a problem. Uh-huh. The only thing uh-huh. you can do is just right lose your butt. Um, and so we kind of had that, but we had different people that would take some people in for, you know, two or three days or whatever until we could figure out a long-term solution. But, um, but anyway, the what I was going to say is when we take time to, be in those situations pe- the poor that we always have among us all of a sudden have faces right like yes. they're yes. no longer just the poor they're the people that you sat and had dinner with or they're the people that mm-hmm. you sat and talked with and and i'm sure becky you're you're you will defend those people when you're talking Absolutely. to some of those free and logan you you said it like even in your sesame you you met them you talked to them and they're no longer just those those folks those people it's not over there and so i think that is a key to maybe all a lot of the stuff that we have going on in the church and outside the church like like on facebook or twitter you can throw bombs but once but if you talk to people um yeah they have they become faces and they become humans and not just you know walls to throw things at (laughs) yes you know
1: and and if we took if we really took the time and it does make us uncomfortable you know, it's not,
0: it is very uncomfortable.
1: It's very uncomfortable. And sometimes it's hard to convince yourself to do something when you're that uncomfortable. But like you said, you know, outside of the church, it it would make a huge difference if instead we would just sit down and have a conversation instead of through our blind space where we don't have to see people face to face and actually recognize that it's a human being on the other side of that computer screen we're talking to. We can, we can say all sorts of,
0: lovely things <laughs> yeah and then yeah. when you start thinking about wait like like i said you can't like once one or two people in the church start to concern themselves about that you can come up with creative ways that won't break the church that won't but maybe the church comes up with a cool creative ministry on helping right or yeah. it forces you to maybe bring some churches in together but like it's just to open yourself up in vulnerability to toward someone changes you and them
1: mm-hmm. absolutely Absolutely.
0: Yeah, at, at our church, we've got at our
2: church. I think we've got nine hundred dollars a year. Yeah, that's set aside just for, hey, someone needs some someone needs a tank of gas, get them a gas voucher, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and
2: the reason we have that set aside now, if if something comes along and we have to invest more money than that, then we have a session meeting over, but we've got $900 a year set
0: aside that we can use for anything without having to, having to call a meeting. That's a good thing. But like I said, in, in like, I've been in some churches to where they give like the, the extended their number one, they have like a attitude of no, like to help. Mm -hmm. But they say we'll give $2,000 a year, or maybe $1,000 a year to like the local, um, like in Paducah, we have Paducah Cooperative Ministries. And so there's a lot of churches Ooh. that'll send money one time a year to support that. And then if people come to the church for something, they'll say, well, go down here to Paducah Cooperative Ministry. They'll get you some food. They'll help you try to find a place to live, these kinds of things, which I don't want to knock at all. But sometimes it's just the church getting out of the uncomfortable thing of having to deal with people. Like guys, it's mm-hmm. easy when somebody knocks at the door and be like, "Big corporate ministry, let me get the phone number for you. i right. drop you off there. <laughs> it's, well, right. it's a convenient way to say, leave us alone. Right. And, and I don't think churches mean to do it, but that's about the only way to interpret it. If you're looking for help, right. If right. I'm looking for help, right. it's about the only way to interpret that. Um, So anyway, but I think all churches and all people have been there because sometimes people get you at the wrong spot too. Like you're at the, you just had a bad conversation with your wife or your kids, and then somebody comes up to you and wants to be like, "No, go away from me." Sure. Yeah. Some of that happens too. But uh, anyway, that's true. Well, that's a good question. That's a good illustration, and I think that's something that churches need to need to wrestle with, and and individual Christians need to worship with. Like I, I still think. A lot of our extremism in our politics and in our religion and stuff is due to the fact that we closed ourselves off to others, and yes, that's just hard to do. And it's hard to sustain a ministry, a good, transforming ministry that way if you cloister mm-hmm. up with just the people who are like you and and don't ever
1: absolutely.
0: Um. Yeah. All right. Well, then we'll go into the exploring the scripture, historical and contextual setting. Um,
1: yeah. Go for it. Okay. So with this section, you know, there's some, there's some very specific things that are used in this section of scripture that we often just glance over and don't recognize the importance of why these elements were put into this story. There's a reason it's in there and we need to look at why. So some of these was the purple cloth. Okay. We all associate purple cloth with royalty, you know, that's just kind of something, but why, what was the reason behind that? And it was amazing when I really got into the history of purple cloth, what it was made from, how difficult it was to make it, um, to understand why purple cloth was used. Cause it was, it was an imagery that was used in this parable, for how extravagantly rich this man was. It wasn't just like, he was kind of rich. He was like super rich. Let's pick on Bill Gates.
0: He was like Bill Gates. Okay. Yes.
1: He was like the Bill Gates. So he this purple cloth and then not only the purple cloth, but then the fine linen, um, the fine linen, that was an amazing process when I started doing research on that, how it was made, how long it took, how, um, personally involved this process was because it wasn't like if you if you read through the section it wasn't like you could take the little hand scythe and just cut these plants off. they had to be pulled up from the roots up so this was a very in-depth process because of the the flax itself and the um that goes all the way down into the root the, the fibers go all the way down to the root so you can't just cut it off you had to pull it up shake all the dirt off and then lay it to the side. So it was a very intensive process to make both purple clothing and fine linen. And for this man to be able to afford these, again, we're talking Bill Gates-ish, okay? This this guy was super rich. And then the gates in the front of his house, how ornate it was. And the fact that Lazarus was there where the rich man would have went in and out every day, going out, doing his things. And he could have heard Lazarus could have heard the dinner parties that were going on. He may have been able to see through an ornate style of gate if that's what it was. Um, and just to lay there outside of that gate and watch all these dinner parties that were happening, watch the food fall from the table and just long for those crumbs and this, and these people just go in and out of the gate
0: and not ignoring
1: him, nothing and nothing. Yeah. And And then the, And then the dogs, you know, um, it was interesting, the history of the dogs, because the dogs, you know, today we have, uh, what do they call them, bio accessories, (laughs) where you (laughs) stuff them in your purse, you know, that's not what dogs were back then. They were, um, they were not pets. They were a nuisance. They were irritating. And they were- And
0: some think they they still are, might I add.
1: Truth. Anyway. Truth. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, truth. Uh, But, you know, they were just, and they're the only ones, these dirty, icky, nuisance, refuse cleaning up animals were the only ones that tended to Lazarus. So all of that, and I put in some YouTube videos, I hope you take time to look at those YouTube videos, because they were fascinating on this whole subject. So that's the imagery that Luke uses in the historical setting to really set up how rich this rich man was, and how completely poor and, and yeah. just down and out, Lazarus
0: was. Yeah, so Christ was definitely painting a picture of, of the broad. So like in in the way Christ is painting the picture, you have this earthly chasm, which nobody was crossing. And then you have this spiritual chasm, which no one was also which crossing. No was crossing. Right? Right. So it sets that up uh, mm-hmm. pretty well. Logan, you want to jump in on any of that? Um.
2: Well, I mean, I, I kind of be curious to know because you didn't really get into it too much in the lesson. Uh, well, you got into it a little bit in, in the in the witness of the church, but um, I'd be kind of curious to know about the picture of hell that's being painted. Yeah. Like, what? Like, I know people just kind of dismiss this and say, "Well, this was a parable; Jesus wasn't recounting real events." But what is? But Jesus, whenever Jesus recounted real events, though, he didn't tell he didn't tell fantasy stories, right? He didn't tell about things that couldn't possibly happen. Like whenever he talked about a farmer going out to sow seed, yeah, it was it was not likely that a farmer would actually sow seed on stony soil, but it's something that could possibly happen. It's within the realm of possibility. Right. So whenever Jesus talks about the flames of hell and talks about all that, how much of that should we take as figurative and how much of it should we take as literal? Because I grew up I grew up fundamentalist Pentecostal, like hell's a real place full of eternal torment. You don't want to go there. And the only way you avoid going there is by repenting of your sins and believing the gospel. And I, and to this day, I still believe that. I still preach that. Uh, but we know that there's different views on hell. And so and and it's what's interesting is that when you go is, is that the belief in a literal eternal hell wasn't considered a trademark of orthodoxy up until later the uh, yeah up until the 1800s 1900s right now if someone preaches that that hell is not eternal conscious torment then They're, we don't consider them orthodox
0: yeah i was about to say that so i like so definitely you brought it up in the jewish thought there's not a lot of afterlife in in the old testament Like there's just not. And one of the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was the understanding of, you know, resurrection or whatnot. Um, There, there does seem to be like a thought of an afterlife in Hebrew scripture, but it's not, it's not dogmatic for sure. I, I don't want to not answer the question, but I also kind of like the, the view of what heaven would be like, right. The poor man died and was carried to the side of Abraham. Like, right, there was no elaborate streets of gold either, but it was in the presence of Abraham was considered the afterlife, a good afterlife. And so, um, but Logan, I think what I would, I don't know if I get dinged for, I think hell is the absence of God, right? That's where I've come down at. And so Mm -hmm. I had a Bible college professor that I thought, I mean, for Church Christ, I'm sure he was, Mind, but I thought he was borderline heretic and he's one of my favorite people in the world but uh, was he's dead now but um he said he he believed in I, I forgot what's the term Logan when like like when you die if you're not in heaven or you're not by Jesus you you cease to exist like you oh, told, annihilationist annihilationist he was an annihilationist and and I, I would not say no to that in my mind right because like if God is not present there is no life. Like you just, mm. uh, but at the same time, Jesus does use more than once. Like people say that Jesus yes. doesn't talk about hell, but that's not true. Uh, he does talk about hell and and he mm-hmm. does it figuratively sometimes, but still even, I mean, there's the only reason it's figurative because it points to some meaning, right? Like, so mm-hmm. there's that.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I think R.C. Sproul said it best when he said that he, when I think Sproul was actually preaching on this passage and he said that, um, he said, let's just assume that every, let's just assume that every passage in the New Testament that speaks about hell is figurative. Well, if if it's all figurative, then it points to a reality, a, a tangible reality, which means right. the descriptions that, the descriptions in the Bible don't even come close to the tangible reality of hell. So, what he's so what Sprohl is arguing is that even if these are figurative, hell is still not a place, it's still a place you don't want to go because there's still suffering, there's still torment. There like the Bible does the, the Bible in our language can't fully describe the amount of separation from God, the amount of torment that someone uh the, the amount of torment that someone goes through. And of course, um, if you look into church traditions in the past, you, find, you actually find that hell being separation from God is actually a, a distinctive in the Protestant tradition. Yeah. Um, the orthodox view of hell is very interesting the orthodox view of hell posits that hell is not separation from god but rather hell is the intense magnitude of the love of god and the reason it comes across as torment is because sinners who reject god and deny god don't want to experience that that's, and so they're consumed hmm, that's by the and and so what what it is is they're consumed and they're they're eaten alive and they're tortured by the very, ra- by the very love of God. And it feels like wrath to them.
0: That, uh, that actually probably is the, it, it could be used as the picture of like um, the rich man's brothers in a sense, right? Like, like when they, when, like our memory verse, they have, if they don't listen to the Moses and the prophets and they're predisposed not to care about spiritual Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. and they don't Mm -hmm. want to. And so in some sense, like people say like, well, if only God gave me proof, I would believe, no, you wouldn't, you would still do what you do. (laughs) Right. Human nature. I mean, unless you're born again, or unless, you know, you won't, you'll find some way of excusing your explaining it away, explaining it away or
1: whatever.
2: I mean, we're probably getting ahead in the lesson, but, but Abraham actually says, you know, they have the writings of Moses Right. Well, that's and what I'm saying. So what saying. Abraham is, yeah, what Abraham is saying is that they've got the word of God and God's word is enough and if God's word isn't enough to convince you or to convict you then nothing
0: will.
1: Nothing will. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: I think that's the truth. Yeah, well that's a good discussion. Um but I do like also like uh just the image of the image of heaven is is more about being in the presence of than about the about all the and it's the same, I think, with hell. Maybe that's what I'm trying to get to: is hell is bad, and it is an outcast place. In other words, it's a place to where you're not you're not in communion, at least, with God or with the people you love. Right? Mm-hmm. Heaven, then, at least in this passage, is focused on that presence of the of of God and and of Abraham. Right? I mean, like mm-hmm. it's the yeah the relationship it's a relationship, not the place. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I think that's important. Um, I do, uh, anywho, um, yeah. So do you want to do I mean, anything else? Yeah.
2: I was just going to say, regardless of how you look at it, whether, whether you're from the Orthodox perspective or from the Protestant perspective, hell is not a place that you want to be. And it's in, and if you are in hell, then there's no way that you can positively interact with God.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right. that's what I was gonna that, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, like, even in this story, the focus isn't on hell, it's on it's on doing right and, and being in the presence of God, right? I mean, like it is a warning, right? But I think Abraham's goal is to say, you know, live in such a way that heaven is gonna be your reality.
1: Right. right. Yeah. For sure. All right, absolutely so
0: digging deeper section there, Becky.
1: Yeah, uh, Luke uses Jesus's words here to to first of all we need to establish that this is a parable. Um there's been a lot of debate whether this is a parable or whether it's actually a real happening because there are names Lazarus is actually named in this parable. Um but we know um that Luke sets up Jesus's parables like a certain man was going, or there was a certain man who had, and here in this one, it's a certain rich man who had. So he uses the same words to set up the parables so that we know that this is an actual parable that Jesus is telling. So that's the first thing that we need to understand. This is a parable. Um, Then he really has different um, themes in here. One of them that Jesus used again, we've we've talked about this before, I think just privately, but also um, that it's important when you speak to your audience, you know, if you look at the way Jesus talks, he talks to his audience in terms and words and using imagery that they're going to understand, which is why he uses a lot of fishing parables or farming parables, because that's who he's talking to. These people understand this kind of imagery. Um, And one of the Um, literary, it's called a literary reversal. That was a very common thing to do in this time period with both Egyptian and Jewish folklore was to take one story, like the rich man Lazarus, and who had this great chasm between them. And now he's flipped it the other way on the other side. So now we have Lazarus in his good life and the rich man being tormented and another great chasm that's in between them. So that was one thing. Um, that Luke really used well in this, in this section. Um, And, and it, and it's that reversing position where you think, how many times do we think that the rich man is the one that's better off? You know, I, I mean, personally, before i really got to know God and really know about God's character, you look at the Bill Gates of the world and you think, if only I had, (laughs) and then to recognize that, that's not always necessarily true. Um, that some, just because you're living your best life here on earth does not mean that you're going to be in your best place for eternity. So, you know, make a choice there. Um, and, and there's another section that he uses that, um, where the rich man begged Abraham to send Lazarus back. Um, and, and we've talked about this already, but that Abraham's like, listen, they've got their opportunity, they know what they need to do, they've got the words, and if they're not going to read it and understand it, then sending Lazarus back ain't going to do any good either.
0: hmm Logan, what you got? I think that's about, that about covers it,
2: man.
1: <laughs> uh, I really
2: like how, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really like Becky, I like how you set this up in, in these thematic sections, because uh, I think I think really we forget sometimes that there's uh, – I really think that we forget that there's a lot of literary devices used in the Bible because, well, I think part of it has to do with the way that many Bibles are formatted. I think a lot of times we ask – a lot of times in our minds we think the Bible fits into a different category – Than other Mm. books and and it does like it is it's god's word and we we know it's god's word and we know it, it it speaks authoritatively about issues of faith and life but at the same time it's at the same time it's also not unlike other books in that there's literary devices that are used and we can get a lot by looking into those literary devices and by spreading it out and reading it like it is a story and one of the things that one of the tools that really helped me uh, was watching the Bible project videos on YouTube.
1: Oh yeah. Um, Those are amazing.
2: Yeah. So uh, if you, if you go to YouTube, type in Bible project, they've got videos over every book of the Bible. They've got videos over, over different Hebrew words and concepts throughout scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, the one that they did about the tree of life is really good. That, that one really spoke to me.
0: I think I put a couple of their videos on either last week or the week before about parables, but I'll put it on there again. Um, and Becky, I think what you bring up is important. Like in, in the discussion we just had, Logan, like when, when you use those phrases to say this is a parable or this is, then you can use that as a key of how you interpret. Like that probably shouldn't be your foundational text about describing hell. Right. So that's that's what I'm saying. So like if it's introduced as a parable, the point isn't that they're describing hell. The point is about the rich man's actions with Lazarus or regard, you know, how he treats the poor. So it helps us not to get defocused on the on the periphery. I mean, it, th- this parable is about the rich man's conduct with Lazarus more than mm-hmm. it is describing hell. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess I got to change my sermon notes now. No, 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 <laughs> no. You talked about because what you're doing then is saying you're not focusing on the fact that, you know, like there's this internal, eternal punishment. Well, y'all don't even know. Y'all weren't even in the conversation. Not y'all too. The people who are listening to this, we were talking about sermon notes for next week. So I'm not going to go there, <laughs> but no, you're doing right in the sense of you're talking about the conduct, right? What God expects. And, and so I think that's the point of the parable, not necessarily what heaven's like or what hell's like. Although it helps, Mm -hmm. you can use it, but it doesn't need to be the foundational text. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that I would say is uh, this, the way, what you were talking about there, Becky, with the, um, with these different themes. I mean, it's, uh, it's almost the, um, the reversal part. It's like the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, you write the Beatitudes reverses common thought. And then um, there's a book I haven't read. And Logan, I'm curious if you've read it because you read a lot. Um, but it's called the upside down kingdom. Um, and I've heard of it, right? I have too. I haven't read it, but the, uh, the theme, the theory of the book is that like Jesus just reverses our, our current worldview, our earthly worldview mm-hmm. and values, kindness over money, <laughs> right? Or mm-hmm. mercy yeah. over that. And so, and I think that's what you're talking about, right, Becky, in this reversal, it's this, you know, money's good Uh, but (laughs) relationship with god's better and god's people right like and probably worth more not probably it is worth more
1: (laughs) it is worth a whole lot more i mean you're looking at just a short-term yeah just a short-term benefit and then you have a long-term loss um, you know so it well, makes you think about what what's really important while you're here on earth what's yeah. what's really important while you have this opportunity
2: my my wife often reminds me that i need to pursue sanctification and it's annoying <laughs> straight um, up
0: buddy <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, awesome. um no i i have a i have a habit of buying lotto tickets occasionally and um and uh, I'll go and I'll drop five bucks on a, on a uh, progressive jackpot. And um, I'll tell, I'll tell Brittany, I'll be like, you know, babe, all our problems will be over as soon as the Arkansas lottery commission gives me that $2.5 million they owe me. That's right.
1: <laughs> right.
2: That's right. She'll And and every time I say that she's, she's like, okay, well then what? I don't know, but we'll figure okay. it out. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd like to have the chance. (laughs) And so, and I get, I get her point. Uh, uh, You know, Jesus is a lot better than that. And you'll have Jesus when all your, when all your bank accounts are empty.
0: Yeah, it's true. But it's the human, I mean, but we are human material people that has a spirit. And so we do need things and, and it is, our lot to think about having more. <laughs> if we're not-
2: I I worked at uh, I worked at a gas station back in 2016, early 2017, back whenever the mega millions went up to the, the highest it's ever been, it made national news. I
0: remember this. the mega
2: millions was up to like one point seven billion or something like that. Yeah. And I had people coming in buying lotto tickets that don't buy lotto tickets. Yeah. Like, my pastor at the time even came in and bought, like, a $25
0: lotto ticket. Right, which is weird because, like, I remember after that, one of the uh, – I was living in – I think I was living in Tennessee at the time. Anyway, the Tennessee Lottery had an ad that says, "Hitting million good enough? Play the lottery now, <laughs> right? Like, well, anyway. Um,
1: <laughs> That's funny.
0: But it is funny. I mean, like, but the the flip side of that, it it is also, though – like it's one thing for somebody to buy a five10 ten dollar lottery ticket, especially when they make enough money and they're paying their bills. It is terrible uh, when you see people throwing in a hundred and hundred dollar and that hundred dollars to them is a oh, thousand. Like to somebody else. Oh yeah. absolutely Oh I know. I
2: used to, you know, when I worked at the when I worked at the different gas stations I worked at, I saw people coming in, and they were spending their social security checks on on um, bunch of lottery tickets, bunch of scratch off tickets. It that's was hard. awful. That's hard.
0: That's hard to like, say
2: and it's, i couldn't do that like i i dropped five i probably dropped five bucks a week on a lottery ticket and that's it for me yeah.
0: like yeah.
2: win or loo- win, lose win loser, draw i don't get
0: any more after that five dollars is gone yeah and not everybody has it but i do hate the fact that i mean that that's that's a that's a hard thing for the for folk because you can talk yourself into it yeah and talk yourself into sure. that winning before it ever
1: happens
0: Yeah. Sure. Um, Let's turn then to the learning from the scripture uh, portion. Uh-huh. And we're going to talk more about hell. And so, we are. Let's go. Yeah. Awesome. Cause... One of my favorite topics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what was the point of this parable? The point was that the rich man spent his entire life building up his earthly treasures, but never working on his kingdom treasures. Um, mm. And that's. That's something that we're confronted with today, you know. That he ignored Lazarus sitting at his door on a daily basis to build himself up and his little kingdom that he had going on. Um, and and I've really thought about this topic of of this question that I po- posited here is how is your heart?
0: Oh, I've got you know something.
1: that. That is something you hear all the time in contemporary Christians speak, is how is your heart? And, and oh, I, I love, it. <laughs> and it's going to drive Logan crazy. But really, I mean, thinking about the fact that the Pharaoh's heart was hits, hardened, though. that in Ezekiel, it works, you know, man. talking about a new heart, um, you know, talking about in the Old Testament, we've had different spots where we talk about taking away the heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh you know this is what this parable is really about because this rich man was so hard-hearted about this poor man sitting outside of his door that he just he didn't help him couldn't help him wouldn't help him you know so how is our heart are we building up our earthly kingdom or are we laying up treasures in heaven
2: Well, you know, I think you're right. I think we do hear that question a lot in contemporary circles, and that that gives it makes me cringe a little bit because I don't like contemporary stuff. I think hill songs of the devil, and (laughs) um, you know, but I think it's an appropriate question. Honestly, honestly, we need to we it's some it's something I think we need to ask ourselves every once in a while. Where are we at? Um, and so you get a picture of of these people who look like they're doing very well in this life. And then when they get to the next life, they're not doing well, or in Lazarus's case, he was doing very well, much better off than where he was. And it's just one of those things where the part of the reason Jesus was telling this parable was because in Jewish thought and in Jewish culture, if you did well in life, then you had God's approval.
1: Right. And
2: and he was showing you that just because you do well in this life doesn't mean you have God's approval. Right. We and you see that with you see that with people today. Well, let's take a recent example in the culture, Ravi Zacharias. Mm. We looked at we we could all see Ravi Zacharias giving these lectures, preaching at these different churches and conferences, doing debates with atheists and um and he had houses, he had a couple different houses, he had a big bank account, he had a couple different business investments he was working on. Lots he of appeared cell phones to too, doing,
0: too and You what? Lots of cell phones too, evidently. Apparently, yeah. Phones.
2: So, it would appear that he was doing very well in life. And it would appear, because of the things he said and the things he did, that he was doing very well in his relationship with God. But on the backside of on the side of everything on the backside of that investigation, you find out, no, that's not the case at all. How's your heart? He was not, he was a completely different person behind closed doors.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I get that. One of the reasons why I love that question, one of my kids, particularly, I have, you know, I've got three kids, um, and they have various levels of seriousness with spirituality. Um, And one of them is more serious at it, about it than the other two, but probably worse at it. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I remember talking with him and I would ask, how's your day or whatever. And I'd get these answers. And then I thought, you know, I don't really care how his day is. I want to know how his heart is because he, you know, and so I just started asking the question, all right, where's your heart or how's your heart? Like, and then Mm -hmm. he'd start in and I'd be like, nope, nope. Your heart. Where's your heart? Like, where are you in Jesus? Where are you? and Like, yeah. so that I've just made a habit with him and I, and I probably need to do it more so with the other two too. But, um, but the, you know, don't tell me, you know, I want to know where you're at in your mind, your heart and your soul and, mm-hmm. and where you at before mm-hmm. the Lord. So that's a good question to ask people. Actually.
1: Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. How is your heart? Yeah. You know, going back to the very introduction and, and what we were talking about there. I think how's your heart is a really good question to ask because as pastors, as people in the church who, you know, you're talking about the Paducah, whatever it was, the ministry where you just, yeah, where you just sent people to, um, you know, when you're, when you're constantly bombarded with people who are asking for help who are asking for money, who are asking for gas, who are asking for rent, or, uh, can you pay my bills this month or whatever you you can get jaded you can get very jaded because you feel like people are just trying to take advantage of the church and trying to take an advantage of you personally and not actually wanting to put in any of the work. And and we have to ask ourselves, how's our heart? Because we can become hard hearted to the point where when people come up and ask for stuff, we're just, no, 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 go away. Leave me alone. Done. No. You know? And, And so we need to ask ourselves, how is our heart? Um, And especially in regards
0: to that. That's, yeah, yeah, we talked about that a little, I think maybe a couple of weeks ago, the burnout can be cynical and hard-hearted quick.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, so it's, it's an important question to ask ourselves when we're faced with those situations. How is your heart?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that, although we just said that was for the witness of this, you use that to tie in the applying the scripture part as well, uh, is mm-hmm. the how is your heart, but I, I, you know, and I would say this, like, are you satisfied? Like one of the questions about how is your heart? And I've asked this of my kids and I, I don't know. And I don't know tooting horns because everybody struggles with different things. Like I struggle with some things that my kids don't struggle with. Like they're saints compared to me in some areas. But one thing I've never struggled with is like, um, giving money away or, you know, anyway, but like when you ask how your heart is it's scary if you can become the person like the rich man and you realize you've become a person that doesn't see people in need you don't even see them it's not even as like it might even be as though Lazarus was he might not have purposefully said no he could just gotten to a point in being the type of person in life that he just didn't even notice that people other people exist right and that and that showed like that's hell Like, honestly, if you were to stop and think about it, that's hell because you don't want to be that type of person. I hope.
1: (laughs) Right. Right.
0: I don't know. That's, that's tough. That's That's a
1: really good point. Cause I just had a recent conversation with, um, I think it was my mom because, because of COVID, you know, everybody's kind of stuck at home and, and your friends group, you think about your friends group, most of your friends are right about the same socioeconomic level that you are, right? So Mm. you don't recognize, so you actually have to look outside of your friend circle to notice people who are in need, to recognize that there's an issue there in your community. And if you are just stuck in your little bubble and you don't venture outside of it, you know, you have to purposefully look for people like that. And that's the one thing my mom and I discussed because she's like, you know, we don't go anywhere. We don't do a whole lot. So they have to look for people to help. Yeah. And, and you, and that makes you uncomfortable <laughs> because sometimes you just, because you're not seeing it on a daily basis because where they live is a very, very rural community, um, you know, very small neighborhood and, and looking outside of your neighborhood and your, your small community to recognize that there's a need can, make you uncomfortable about the world. Um, you know, just to recognize that, okay, you're living in the United States of America and these people, you know, five miles down the road that aren't in your immediate area live in a very, very different situation than what you live in. You know, that, that can, that can be uncomfortable too.
0: Yeah. And if your heart gets to a place where you just don't even look or care or notice mm-hmm. that's hell. And then I don't think yeah. we can say that that's just, but that's hell. And I don't ever. I hope I don't become that person. Amen. It would be easier for me yeah. to be a Robbie Zacharias type center than though than the uh, <laughs> money I've never just gotten a hold of. I just don't care much. But then again, I'm also comfortable. So maybe that's why. I haven't been comfortable in the past, okay. but we all struggle with something. But the yeah, heart thing gets to the gets to the core. Like because it is easy to excuse yourself if you have, but if there- you're there's a sermon
2: that I may include in the resources. Um, it, it has nothing to do with the text, but it kind of talks about the, the how's your heart thing It's from Steve mm. Brown. And he acts and he opens up the sermon with these words. He gets up to the pulpit and before he says anything else, he says they could all go to hell and I couldn't care less.
0: Mm.
2: And he says, that was my mindset. And he talked about how God softened
0: his heart to, to care for people um, after he became a pastor. Wow. When you say it like that, that also addresses some of our current, our current struggles with people. Like right now, if we don't agree with each other, I'm hoping Christians don't get to this point, but I know reading interactions on Facebook or whatnot, I don't think people would care if somebody died. Like, if you like, if they disagree on some issue that right. just assume somebody be dead, <laughs> like who cares? Yeah. And that's,
2: that's right. My, there was a, there was an obituary I read and uh, back, in, back in 2016 and I thought it was hilarious and I've actually used it uh, in sermon illustrations before. There was a woman who passed away um, in like May of 2016 or something like that. It was as the 2016 election was getting off the ground and her obituary read, Uh, rather than voting for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, uh, Miss So-and-so chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God.
0: (laughs)
1: Wow.
0: (laughs) I thought that was great. Right? It gives me ideas for the future. (laughs) (laughs) God, two years from now. (laughs) Me too. Uh, All right. Well, I want to say thank you to my two co-hosts who bent over backwards to try to help me out. I did want to say that I got to come see my parents for the first time since Yay. October and so I, I wanted to do that my problem was I did not bring the right equipment evidently so I we had to get this in pretty quick because my laptop's about to die but uh, thank you all for um, subscribing to the channel and thank you for using the encounter we have had more sales more churches jump on board and so I'm really deeply thankful for that and so um, until next time Uh, do y'all want to give some parting shots? Maybe since I didn't give you opening shots, check out the Monday morning megaphone and check out culty crimes and criminal minds. I need to check that. I'm curious. I haven't.
1: Absolutely.
2: And join me on. episode is really good. Our next episode is going to be really good.
1: I really need to check your, your new podcast out. That sounds interesting. And join me on my porch on uh, Monday and Friday. Um, this week, it was a little late getting up because like Chris, I was also visiting my parents and it took me two days to upload a video to YouTube. Terrific. Don't go to rural Missouri for internet. <laughs> Just saying. Awesome. All right. So Thanks. join me on the porch.
0: <laughs> Y'all have a good week. You too.